Good morning. Continuing through our study of the book of Exodus, which is um, a book that tells us who the Lord is. Uh, and uh, uh, it's easy to think that maybe this book is telling us how the Lord parted the Red Sea and the ten plagues and all of the uh, accounts that you grew up in, in Sunday school and children's church learning about. But really what this, this book is about is who is the Lord, answering that question. Uh, and this morning we're going to consider a statement that uh, the Lord makes uh, to Moses that is actually a quite remarkable statement. As part of the benefits of the covenant that God was making with the nation of Israel, God told Moses where God intended to reside, where he intended to reside. In Exodus 25, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And then the Lord lists what items were to be contributed. They were precious metals, varied colored yarns, animal skins, acacia wood, and many other items were to be collected uh, from those people whose heart moved them to contribute. The purpose for the collection is told in verse 8 of Exodus 25. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That, that I may dwell in their midst. God's intention is to dwell in their midst. Taking for granted that God desired to dwell amongst people is a mistake. In John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that became flesh is Jesus, the Son of God. Many people didn't recognize or still don't recognize that the God of all creation chose to live among us. People saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ and couldn't recognize it. They missed it. Back in Exodus, God tells the people to take up a collection to build a tabernacle, which is a fancy way of saying a tent, to build a tent so that the glory of God may reside in the tabernacle in and amongst his covenant people. Before, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God seemed distant to them. He seemed removed from them. They wondered if he took notice of them or was even concerned about them. Once God made himself known to them uh, that he knew their condition and was going to rescue them and redeem them to himself, God still seemed somewhat distant. God's glory appeared to the people as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His glory uh, led them from Egypt to Mount Sinai. God led them, but was not exactly in their midst. While at Sinai, God's glory came down from heaven and resided on top of the mountain where he spoke with Moses and ratified the covenant that the people had agreed to abide by. The Ten Commandments, for short. God forbid the people coming onto the mountain where God's glory was residing. They could see the fire enveloping the mountaintop, but were forbidden to approach God's glory. The Lord now tells Moses, because of the covenant relationship that they had agreed to and ratified, to prepare a place where God would dwell in the midst of his people, right there with them. God However, he stated that intention before the rebellion 
of the nation. Uh, the reason I chose this, this picture is that uh, uh, the way it, it worked is, is they ratified the covenant, the people agreed to it, uh, and then that was after giving the law, and then, and then God gives um, a number of chapters that we'll, we'll touch on in a little bit, not, not today, that say exactly how to build the tabernacle uh, and how to build the furniture and how to situate all of it. And one of the things that was stressed is where each tribe was to reside around the tabernacle. They had assigned seating uh, in, uh, in for, for the purpose of the tabernacle being in their midst. But this was done before their rebellion. It says that... Uh, uh, so last week we saw that the people demanded Aaron, the high priest, to create an idol for them to worship. They grew tired of waiting for God and Moses to ratify the covenant that they had agreed to abide by, and they were ready to move on. They, were, they got bored um, having, having God's glory on the mountaintop. They got bored just sitting and waiting. So Aaron crafted a gold calf that the people began to worship and attribute their salvation from Egypt to that gold calf. In Exodus 32, 4, it said, And he received the gold, he being Aaron, from their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The people violated the first two of the Ten Commandments they had just agreed to. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make a carved image for the purpose of worshiping or aiding in worship. The next day, the people have a feast, after the golden calf is made, and they get wild. Moses returns to the nation while the people are having drunken orgies, celebrating the idol that had just been created at their request, and God is not pleased. He informs Moses that instead of dwelling in their midst of the people, he instead was going to kill them all and start over with Moses. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, asking that God not destroy the nation. The Lord relents of his stated desire to rid himself of these sinful people, but there are still going to be consequences for sin. The whole nation wasn't destroyed, but thousands of people died by the sword and by a plague. More than that, God tells Moses that God will no longer be with the people. The Lord will keep his promises to the nation that they will go to the promised land, a good land flowing with milk and honey, but God would no, no longer accompany them nor be with them in the promised land. In Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked means stubborn. I don't know if you've ever tried to... Uh, uh, I was going to say drive a mule. I don't think you, well, you do drive a mule, right, if you're plowing. But I don't know if you've ever tried to, to ride a, a mule. Their necks are unbelievable. If they don't want to go to the right, guess what they don't do? They do not go to the right. They go where they want. And, um, and they are, are a strong, strong animal. 
uh, I was watching. I'm, I know I'm getting old because I watch boring things on YouTube, but I was watching why mules uh, are, are better than guard dogs for, for guarding a, a, a flock. Uh, they will take on the, the wolves and the, the predators, and they will win. Uh, and so, uh, says you, you, basically what the Lord is saying, you people are like a bunch of mules. And if I go with you, I don't see how the two of us are going to make it. One of us ain't going to make it. And I, I know who that would be. Well, God said, I will give you everything I promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I will not go with you because if I came with you, I'd kill y'all. You are a stubborn people. You know what? I was thinking about that. A lot of people would take that deal and be happy. What God is saying is I will give you every material blessing. I will give you a prosperous land, a beautiful land, a productive land. You will have everything you physically need. The one blessing, the one benefit you won't receive is a relationship and fellowship with me. And many people would respond by saying, amen, or sign me up. You mean I can have every physical blessing and won't have to waste my time dealing with God? Hey, let's do it. In fact, there are many large churches that would be put out of business with a deal God put forth. Their whole reason for existing is to tell people how to manipulate God so that he will give them nice things. God is saying to the people that he will bless them materially, but will not fellowship with them or be a part of their lives. They would not have the benefits of being in a covenantal relationship with God that God shared with them earlier. And what was that back in Exodus 19? God said to Moses, If you indeed obey my voice and keep my, com my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God said the benefit of being in a covenantal relationship is that you'll be God's treasured possession. You'll be a kingdom of priests with access to God. You'll be a holy nation set apart for service to God. When Israel considered all they would be missing, even with the physical material wealth, they didn't consider themselves to be lucky. It says they wept because they would be missing out on a relationship with God. The God that redeemed them from their enslavement in the land of Egypt. The God that carried them on eagles' wings as they traveled through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. The God that would make them his own treasure, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. In Exodus 33:4, it says, When the people heard the disastrous word that God would not be traveling with them into the promised land, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. After this, Moses goes to speak to the Lord in the tent of the meeting. Now, the tent of meeting <clears throat> was different than the tent of the tabernacle. Those are two different tents. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get confused on that when we're, when we're reading through it. Uh, the tent of meeting existed before the tabernacle. So he went into the tent of meeting, um, and, uh, and that's the place where Moses would go speak. To the Lord. In verse 11 of Exodus 33, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And that is where they go. While in that tent of meeting, the Lord spoke to Moses, 
in a less formal and more friendly way. Moses takes the opportunity to speak freely to the Lord, and the Lord listens. In this conversation, Moses makes a request. Moses said to the Lord, in verses 12 through 13, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. We see the current reality is that they were separated from God. They were separated from God because of the sin of the nation uh, with, with the golden calf. Before God said, I will be in your midst. Build me this tent because I want to go camping with you and I want to be in your midst. But then the sin happened and the reality is, is that they were separated from God. But in Moses' request, he says what? I want to know you. I want to know you. That was the request that Moses, that Moses made. Mo Moses points out that the Lord said he would not be the one to travel with Moses, bringing in the nation to their inheritance. Before the people sinned greatly against the Lord, the plan was for the, for the Lord uh, to be the one who would fight for them in conquering the land just as the Lord had fought for them against Egypt. Now God said he wouldn't come with them, but would send an angel to lead and fight for them. He says, but now go lead the people in verse, in verse uh, Exodus 32, Exodus chapter 32, verse 34. Uh, he says, but now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you, but in the day that I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. He says, I'll send an angel the day I come. Well, I'm going to visit your, their sin upon them, but I'll have, I'll have an angel go uh, fight for you. Moses says, I don't know this angel. He hadn't spoken or fellowshiped with this angel. He didn't speak as a friend speaks to a friend like he was with the Lord in the tent of meeting. Never a word was spoken between Moses and this angel. Moses also points out that the Lord had told Moses that Moses had found God's favor. Moses says, if that is true, if I have found your favor, show me your ways. How much favor does Moses have from the Lord if Moses doesn't continue to grow in his knowledge of who the Lord is and how the Lord thinks? We are told to be holy as God is holy. If we don't understand better the holiness of God, how could we ever hope to grow in our own personal holiness? Moses' request is simple. God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. How could Moses know God better if there is no relationship between them? That was the point of being in a covenant with God in the first place, to know God more. And God responds to Moses' request. In verse 14 of chapter 33, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. At Moses' request that the Lord come with them, not to give them victory, not to give them material blessing, but because Moses' request was made with a desire to know God, because to know God is to have God's favor, 
Knowing God doesn't bring the reward. Knowing God doesn't bring the reward. Knowing God is the reward. Knowing God is the reward. Remember, they had, he promised all the material blessings, but that's really not what Moses and the nation needed. What did they need? They needed to know the Lord. Not to get the reward, because that is the reward. In God's response to Moses, <clears throat> he tells Moses that he'll go with him and the people. Because God's presence will be with Moses, Moses will find rest. Without the knowledge of God, there is no rest. You can have money, you can have prestige, you can be adored by your fans, but without knowing God, you can't find rest. As I look around, I see a, a truth I think all of us see and, and probably experience. People are striving. They strive for comfort. They strive for significance. They strive for material gain. They strive for acceptance. And people are tired. Does that describe you this morning? We all need acceptance. Because of the nation's sin, they were not accepted by God. God didn't want to be in their presence, and he didn't want them to be in his. Sin does that. It makes us unacceptable to God, because God is holy, righteous, <coughs> hating sin. Our sin makes us unacceptable, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Even though God states that he will come with Moses and the children of Israel, and that Moses would find his rest in God, Moses looks for reassurance. After all, it was only a few moments earlier where God said he wouldn't come with the people because they are stiff-necked, stubborn people that would continually sin against God. And God would want to wipe them out. So Moses looked for reassurance, and reassurance he got. In verses 15 and 16, Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Isn't that how we find favor and people know we find favor? I think Moses is bringing up the covenantal promises God had made with the nation when they first arrived at Mount Sinai. If they obeyed God's rules and laws given in the covenant, they would be God's treasured people, a kingdom of priests, and God's holy nation that would serve the Lord. To find God's favor is to be a distinct people. Only those people who are in God's presence find God's favor. Our sin separates us from God's favor and God's presence. But we're going to deal with that in just a moment. But God addresses Moses again. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 17, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. You have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. When we, study, when we started our study of Exodus, we saw that the purpose of this book is to make God known. Pharaoh said he would not obey the God of Israel because he didn't know who the God of Israel was. Why should I obey him? I don't even know who he is. God granted Pharaoh his wish. God said, you're going to get to know me. And Pharaoh did. 
the whole world heard about the mighty power of God. They heard that the whole, that the whole earth belongs to God and is under God's authority. They found out that if you fight against God, you will lose. Moses discovered a lot about God, and he asked to find out more. God tells Moses that Moses is known completely by him, completely by the Lord. Friend, God knows you, too. He knows everything about you. Nothing has escaped his notice. There can be nothing hidden from his sight. Not only does God know about you, he knows the essence of you, the part of you that you try to hide from others and think you have succeeded in hiding. Maybe you have hidden it from family and friends, but you haven't hidden it from God. And this is the amazing part. Not only does God know you completely, but he also loves you. Oh, if he knew the real me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me so much. Maybe, maybe. But God knows, and he loves you. Moses continues in his request, his desire to know God more. After the Lord gave him the answer in the affirmative and that he said, I know you by name, Moses said in verse 18, please show me your glory. God knows Moses completely, and Moses is saying, God, let me know you better. Show me your glory, and God agrees. Here's the plan that God gives and he said in verses 19 through 23 and he said I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but he said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live and the Lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God says that he will make all of his goodness pass before Moses. I can't tell you how many times I have read this account and completely missed this part. That God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. Started thinking, why, why that? Why say that? That I will make all of my goodness pass before you. God's goodness is what is being emphasized. God could have decided to emphasize anything about himself in this encounter. He could have emphasized his power, his authority, his holiness, his omnipresence, his justice, his truth. We could go on. But instead, in this moment, after the people have rebelled against God and sinned greatly, God's deci God decides to emphasize his goodness to Moses. God also stresses that God has the right to choose whom he is gracious and whom he gives his mercy. Moses can't force God or compel God. Even though God decided to show mercy to the sinful Israelites, it wasn't because Moses made him. The choice to be gracious or merciful belongs to God. God also stresses that Moses cannot see the entirety of God or God's glory. God tells Moses, I will let you see my glory in a unique way, but you won't see the front side of my glory because you can't handle it. Moses gets to see the backside of God's glory. 
And when that happens, God will proclaim his goodness to Moses. That's what the Lord tells Moses. When I pass by and you see the backside of my glory, I will proclaim my goodness to you. In preparation for the meeting, God instructs Moses to cut two more tablets of stone to bring to the top of the mountain. The previous tablets were smashed into bits because the covenant that the people had agreed to abide by was smashed into bits when they rebelled against God. Now God intends to reestablish or renew the covenant he had previously made with the people. He's going to renew the covenant, reestablish the covenant. God told Moses that he would write again the law, the Ten Commandments that had previously been written down. Moses presents himself to the Lord at the top of the mountain, just like the Lord had instructed. God showed up just like he had promised. He proclaims his goodness to Moses as he reveals his glory. So as God reveals his glory, what is he going to do? He's going to show, he's going to proclaim his goodness. Here is the goodness of God. In chapter 34, verses 5 through 7, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We see the Lord's revelation. How does, who does the Lord reveal himself to be? The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God makes it clear that even though he is slow to anger, he can get angry. God's desire is to show goodness. He is not standing around with a lightning bolt ready to strike down people at a moment's notice. God is patient with people. He gives people a chance. He wants people to abide in his love. But God clearly states to Moses that he does not clear the guilty. Sin has far-reaching consequences. In verses 8 through 9 of chapter 34, it says, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take for us, take us for your inheritance. Moses now has an important recognition. He has an important recognition that he didn't have previously. That a covenantal relationship with the Lord is based on forgiveness, not our righteousness. Because a relationship with the Lord is based on his forgiveness and not our righteousness, Moses can find rest. How much good do you have to do for it to be enough? A person can strive their whole life and never know if they have done enough. How good do you have to be to find God's favor and live eternally in his presence? Well, here's the answer. You have to be perfect. 
and not perfect from here on, starting now, you would have to have been perfect your entire life. If you messed up before today just one time, you don't meet God's standard of holiness to live eternally in his presence and find favor. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, fall short of God's standard of righteousness. So how much good would you have to do? There isn't enough good that you could do. The benefits God gave the first time the covenant was presented was based on what? Got to here are the benefits of a covenant relationship with me. You get to be my treasured people, a, a, a nation of priests, a, a holy nation set apart for service. And all you have to do is what? Well, let's go back to verses 5 and 6 to see on what was the covenant, uh, the covenant benefits based. So back in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. The Lord says, Now indeed, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, uh, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So I'll ask the question again. The benefits God gave the first time the covenant was presented was based on what? If you will indeed Obey my voice and keep my covenant. When the people were presented with this opportunity, it never occurred to them that they wouldn't be able to live up to their end of the covenant. Here's the response when told that the covenant relationship with God was dependent on their ability to obey God's rules and regulations, um, and they, they didn't know what those rules or regulations would be, it says in verse 8 of chapter 19, all, the peop- all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. When they said, it's a, obey my voice, obey my covenant, their response was, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, we could say, hey, you didn't know what the specifics were. You didn't know the particulars. You didn't read the, the fine print, right? Once you know that, then maybe you'll say, I don't know about this. But once they heard all the commandments, not just the ten, but the hundreds of rules that followed, they didn't say, oh, hold on a second. Uh, We don't know, uh, we didn't know those were going to be the rules when we agreed to this. They heard the rules and affirmed their ability to keep them all. In chapter 24, verse 3, this is after they hear the rules. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules and all all of the people answered with one voice and said, all of the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I was thinking about this from a a pastor perspective, and I bet Moses was probably excited about the people's agreement to enter uh, into this. He he probably was excited. Hey, these stiff-necked people, they were so stubborn in their sinful ways on the journey, and now look how far they've come. They just agreed to obey every single command of God. Moses probably thought, wow, I'm doing a really good job. They used to be a bunch of whiny brats that wanted to kill me. Now all they want to do is obey God perfectly. And we're going to enter into this perfect fellowship with the God of all the universe. Cool. It's probably what Moses thought. He was excited about their agreement. 
Finally, now we're, now, we're, now we're cooking with gas. But after this encounter, the failure of the people, and this interaction with the Lord, Moses has an important realization. He has an important realization. What is that? These people, including Moses, will never be perfect in their obedience. They will never be righteous. If a relationship with God is based on our ability to be righteous, then we will not have a relationship with God. If the Lord is going to be our God, it will have to be based not on our goodness, but on his willingness to forgive. King David wrote in the psalm the following about how, God, how far God is willing to forgive. Just listen, but it's in Psalm 103. Um, read the whole psalm later on and you'll, you'll be glad that you did. It says, He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And all of God's people should have said, Amen. <laughs> Thank goodness. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you fear the Lord? The Lord has done everything necessary for us to be forgiven. What did the Lord do? Well, the Bible tells us that sin entered the world. Sin brings death, which is separation. The soul of man separates from the body at physical death. Spiritual death is to be separated from the Lord. Sin brings both physical death and spiritual death. Sin brings both physical death and spiritual death, and God the Father sent his Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. You see, sin demands death. Jesus died in my place. He took my sin upon him to pay the price of sin, which is death. I couldn't pay for my own sin. Me dying doesn't satisfy God's righteous demands for forgiveness for others. If I died for my sins, I deserved it, right? I earned it. Um, my sin makes me unable to pay. I am not acceptable to God in my sin. Jesus died in my place as a substitute. Because he was sinless, his death gave me the righteousness of God. So God doesn't see my sin on me. God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on me. Not my own righteousness, which is like filthy rags, but the righteousness of his son. Uh, I used to uh, collect baseball cards uh, when, I was, when I was young, and I would go to the, uh, the, the hobby store that had all of the, the cards, and I would buy a Beckett guide. Uh, and a Beckett guide would tell you the value of every baseball card. Uh, and so you could go back. I, I had uh, a 1972 Raleigh's Finger baseball card. Uh, some of you are like, okay, whatever. Some of you are like, oh, hey, that's impressive, right? I, I know who went and got a Beckett baseball guide based on that. And I could go through and I could see. Uh, and my friend started collecting baseball cards because I collected baseball cards. But he didn't go by the Beckett. 
Uh, he would trade baseball cards based on how much he liked the picture of the player. I could swindle him like you would. Oh my goodness, we had some great bets, or not some great bets, some great trades in my favor. Some great trades in my favor. Uh, the best trade I ever made is when Jesus took my sin upon him and gave me his righteousness. That's what it takes. God forgave my sin because Jesus bore the cost of my sin, which is death. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. Why? Because the cost of sin was paid in full. Paid in full. One day I'm going to get to pay off my mortgage. And the paperwork better say, from the mortgage company, paid in full. I don't want it to say pretty close, almost there. Just a little bit more. I want to know how much I owe, right? How much do I owe? Uh, and I don't want the mortgage company to keep squeezing and never tell me how much further I have to make it. God doesn't say, just a little more. He doesn't say, do a little more good, and maybe it'll be enough. He doesn't say, quit this sin, and you'll get closer. He doesn't say, get some people to pray for you, and maybe. Jesus paid it all, paid in full, so God forgives in full. The covenant is reestablished with the nation of Israel, but not based on their ability to obey all that the Lord has said, to obey all that was in the covenant. As Moses points it out, this is a stiff-necked people. If For us to have a covenant with you, it's going to be based on your willingness to forgive our sin and iniquity. God, if you're going to be in our midst, it's going to be because you're a forgiving God, not because we're a righteous people. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. If you're relying on your righteousness to gain favor with God, to make you more acceptable to him so that you can have a relationship with him for eternity, please recognize that it's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on your goodness. You might think it's really good, but God's going to look at that righteousness and go, oh, gross. Oh, gross. If you fear the Lord, then you will come to him the way that he says. Not by your righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you say, no, God, I'm coming to you my way, are you fearing the Lord? Absolutely not. If you fear the Lord, you will obey the Lord in what he says concerning forgiveness, what he says concerning salvation. He says, the way to me is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And we go, yeah, you get us almost there. You get us almost there, but that last mile is up to me. That last bit is my responsibility. I'll earn it, thank you very much. That's not fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is recognizing your need for forgiveness. And aren't you glad that Jesus paid it all? All to him we owe, right? Sin has left a crimson stain that he washed white as snow. God's forgiveness 
not our righteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this illustration of the people of Israel from thousands of years ago that they thought they could have a relationship with you based on merit, based on earning it through their goodness, through their obedience. And Father, that they messed up just like all of us would have. And because of that, Moses got to see that that relationship is based on the forgiveness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, that he paid the price for our sin, that you were satisfied with that payment, and he rose again, showing that death and sin had been conquered. And Father, we have the hope, not the wish, not the fingers crossed guess, not the maybe if I do good enough, but we have the certain hope of our own salvation through Jesus Christ and our own resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead, showing that our sin had been paid. Father, we just thank you for that, that demonstration of love. No greater love has ever been demonstrated, and that by your forgiveness through, through Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with you for all eternity. Father, we just thank you that you want to dwell with us and that you made a way through your Son. In his name we pray, amen.